Tabiso Musiya on SAFM. So let's go back to Super Sunday then. Uh, there was the Wimbledon final, also a thriller between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. I'm sure all of you, we were all switching in between uh, the channels there. I remember at one stage, if I remember correctly, was it 11-11 and then England needed like 16 of 8 on the other side and you didn't know what to watch. But let's speak to a former pro, Mr. Kevin Curran, who joins us on the line just to get his thoughts on this Wimbledon final. Mr. Curran, thank you very much sir, for speaking to us again on SAFM. We appreciate it and we really don't take it for granted no it's always a pleasure and uh, we were a uh, real treat on sunday uh, in the finals in fact all three finals the men's doubles the ladies singles and yeah. the men's uh, singles but uh, in particular the men's singles just uh, absolutely phenomenal match and uh, we're so blessed to be able to watch these two great champions uh, Djokovic and uh, federer going head to head in the finals of the greatest tournament on the planet wimbledon and uh, it couldn't have been uh, closer, and sadly, mm. uh, the sport of tennis, there has to be a loser, and in this case, it was Federer, who we all felt uh, really should have won the match on the day, uh, played so well and was so close, and really, uh, he would have made history by doing so. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on the men's doubles final because not many South Africans might be aware that the guys that won it, Cabal and Farah, are actually coached by Jeff Gutierrez. And uh, I think they're the first Colombians to win a Wimbledon title. So well done to uh, Jeff Gutierrez. You spoke about how Federer played much better tennis there. I saw the stats. I mean, he had won the most points. Uh, he won on first serve points. We had the most winners made. He had the most aces, most break points converted, most games won. What does that tell us? Yeah, it's quite amazing. You know, tennis, uh, you know, he won the, the two sets that he won, he won convincingly, and the three sets he lost, they all were tiebreakers. And very interestingly, uh, it's the first time that Wimbledon has instituted, this was the first year that they just uh, went in with a tiebreaker in the final set at 12 all, yep. And this was the first match where it actually happened. And uh, quite amazing that it would happen in a final against, you know, with two great champions like that. But, uh, yes, Roger had the upper hand in the match. He, you know, he played just the most amazing match in the semifinals against Nadal. And also very interesting what came out of that match is he won most of the points in the baseline rallies, which Nadal typically dominates. So he was playing exceptional tennis. His timing was amazing. And, and like I say, I thought overall he deserved to win the match. He played the better better tennis, and uh, sadly he came out on the losing end because when you finish a set, you start from square again. And uh, so he may have won more points, but uh, and he played more aggressively, which I really appreciated that uh, he was going for his shots from the from the get go, from the very outset, and continued that way in the end. And unfortunately, just at the end, he made a few unforced errors. In fact, in each of those uh, those tie breaks, which ended up costing him. And where do you stand in that debate of the tiebreak with, with it coming to place now at 12 all? I know the traditionalists are against it, uh, but some are happy that they won't see a match that ends in 70-68 like we saw with Isna and Mahout. Yes, you know, I think that that is why they've instituted in the back of Kevin Anderson having a really long match with uh, John Isner, and it happened in the semifinal last year. Yes. So what happened is that he had to come back and recover the next day and uh, just almost impossible for you to be physically up for a match the next day. And it had, a prior to that, a tough match with, with Federer, also uh, very long in the first set. So grass is a quite, it's a quick surface, and if you've got a good serve like Kevin Anderson and, and Isner, that can transpire where you go deep into the first set before you finally see a break. So I think that's where they were coming from. But it is sad to see a major championship ended with a tie break, but I will say this. 
Dennis, the uh, tiebreaker is much better than what happened in the cricket yesterday. <laughs> no, I thought that was really, really unfair. And then the umpire uh, seemed to have acknowledged got that they may have, got the, may have got it wrong. So at mm. least uh, at least a number of points, they know what to expect and they play it out. So it's a hard way to, to distinguish a winner sometimes. And and where does this match rank in terms of one of the best matches we've seen? Does it does it in any way rival that 08 final that's been voted as the greatest man in history, or was just this a different ball game altogether? I I think uh, the 208 will be very hard to beat because the intensity was probably greater and two younger guys going at it. But this this match is definitely up there. It would definitely be in the top three of all time, not just at Wimbledon, but at all time. And and when one looks at at the history behind it, if if uh, if you look at the Grand Slams won, Federer's won 20 Grand Slams, and I think it was crucial for him to win this one because had he won this, uh, Djokovic uh, was trailing him by by I think it was five Grand Slams. So so six Grand Slams. Sorry, by winning this, he's only five behind now. And had Federer won, it would have been seven. And then that's really tough for for Djokovic to go and win seven. But now it's just five he's behind. So it's very realistic. He is a bit younger than Federer. And I think Federer, in the back of his mind, he knew that. And he knew that he would also become the oldest uh, men's uh, singles champion at Wimbledon. So it was really history in the making. And I'm a huge Federer fan, so it was kind of sad to see him lose, but I also appreciate the, the quality of tennis that Djokovic plays. He really is special. And he may well now rewrite the history books in time, you know, if he continues with his uh, Grand Slam record. Has he become the man to beat now? It's his 16th Grand Slam title. He's won four of the last five? Absolutely. He is uh, He's younger. And so Federer, this is the saddest part, is I think he may well be, this might have been his last chance, because his best chance to win a major championship is on grass at Wimbledon. So he's going to have to wait until next year. He's got an outside chance at the U.S. Open, but there'll be more players that'll have an opportunity to get closer to him. So we've written him off before in the past, uh, Roger Federer, but he keeps coming back amazing at 37 years of age that he can still compete and still has the passion and the motivation to compete at that top, top level. So, uh, yes, keep an eye on Djokovic. I think uh, he's going to be the man to beat as we go forward. And and what does it say about the staying power, the hunger and the fitness of these guys? You've mentioned Federer at 37 going on 38, Nadal is at 33. Are we going to see another generation like this in the near future? Well, I've asked that question myself, is where is the next generation? For the last seven years, we haven't seen a top young kid come through, put his hand up and sustain it and stay there. We had Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Alexander Zverev. Uh, we've had three or four that have come, but they haven't stayed very long. You know, they've had sort of form for six, eight months, maybe a year, and then they seem to disappear. So it's kind of sad in, in one respect and a little bit of an indictment of the modern player that they're unable to, to sort of stay with these great champions. And I think it also can be put down to the fact that they don't have the diversity of game that the likes of Federer and uh, Djokovic have. And, and to some extent, uh, Nadal, he's even adapted his, his game from baseline where he does come into the net more often now. But on the other hand, one can make the argument that we, we have had the, the pleasure of experience, experiencing three of the greatest players to ever play the game of tennis. And in your era, Mr. Kevin Curran, did we have something similar where the top three players were just so ahead of the rest? Yeah, I was fortunate that I played when just when Borg was retiring and then on came McEnroe 
and uh, Connors. And, and then that was followed by Lendl and Becker, and then after that it was Agassi and Sampras. Mm. So, uh, you know, there will always be champions, and I think the, the success of the sport is based on the rivalries, and there will always be. But uh, these three have just been absolutely phenomenal. If you look at the Grand Slams and who's won them the last uh, eight, nine years, it's pretty much, uh, with the exception, I think, of four or five uh Slams. They've all been amongst those three players, so quite, uh, quite phenomenal. Uh, but we, as I say, we've been incredibly blessed in this last decade to, to have seen these three going head to head, and it's always an interesting match when they play. You are a Wimbledon finalist yourself, of course, back in 1985, losing to uh, Boris. Uh, no. Um, was it Boris, Boris Becker? Becker. Yeah, yes, it was Boris. Yeah. It was Boris Becker. And Djokovic has saved two match points. And after the game, he said mentally this was the toughest match of his career. Uh, was this game more about the mental aspect? And is that also what counts? Is, is that a huge fact? How, how big a factor is that in a final? No, no, it's huge. Particularly a title like Wimbledon, and as I alluded to earlier, the fact that uh, that. Uh, had the opportunity to create history. So, yes, the mental pressure is incredible. Uh, we saw a little bit of it in the fifth set when Djokovic was up 4-2 and then he sort of he played a very weak game. Where we call it uh, the term in, in sport as he choked. Mm. And uh, that was just simply pressure. So definitely he plays a major, major role, the mental side of the game. However, when he was down two match play- points, he started playing his best tennis, got back into it, and then was able to pull it out in that long, in that tiebreaker at 12 all. So, yes, very much so. The mental is a huge part, and, and I think to some extent that's what distinguishes those top three from the balance of the players on the tour as well. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Simona Halep's win has been overshadowed by what happened on Sunday, but uh, were you surprised that she won so comfortably against Serena Williams in less than an hour? Absolutely. Huge surprise for everybody, I think, including uh, Halep herself. Uh, <laughs> Serena Williams' is, is record is just phenomenal in the women's game. And again, we talked about that mental pressure and what the implications of that are. She had to win one more Grand Slam to tie Margaret, Margaret Court's 24 yeah. Grand Slam singles titles. She's obviously come very, very close and came up short. So I'm sure that was also playing in the back of her mind. But huge credit to Halep. Halep played an amazing match on the day. She got up early. She kept the pressure on. And she said even afterwards that she was surprised she was able to play at that level for so long. So all credit to her. Great to have a, a new face as a champion. But on the other side, we can't uh, and we won't forget that Serena's been one of the great champions of the women's game. And as you said, she continues to wait for that record equaling a title. Is it getting frustrating for her or is it a matter of time or are they catching up with her now? I think uh, there's no question that the girls are catching up with her. Uh, she's definitely not at, at her very best that she was, say, four or five years ago. But it, it's definitely to how good she is that she can still play and, and dominate many of the top players on the women's tour. And uh, I think the question now for her is, and I was surprised she got to the finals of Wimbledon because she's got she's got a family, she's got distractions, and now to compete at that top level, you have to be so focused. So if she can keep the distractions away, I think uh, she could do well at the U.S. Open. But uh, but yes, she's got to have that in the back of the mind that uh, she could become the greatest player of all time, but simply by winning the the Grand Slams. I think she may well be recognized already in many people's uh, minds, but uh, the record is always the one that, that uh, the the purists will always refer to. So, so yes, we'll keep a, a good lookout on Serena and see how she does progress. And, uh, and she has, as I've said, she's just been one of the great champions.
Okay, great stuff, Mr. Kevin Curran. Always a pleasure for us to talk to you, sir. Thank you for your wonderful insight. Only a pleasure. Thank you. That's a former pro South African tennis great, sporting great, Mr. Uh, Kevin Curran speaking to us. And we mentioned earlier on when he said that it was actually a wonderful Sunday, including the men's doubles a final. And I mentioned that uh, there's a South African that is coaching those guys that won it. And he joins us on the line now. Catch coach uh, Jeff Kutzia, who coaches one, Sebastian Kabal and Robert Farrell. Coach, good evening uh, from us on SAFM. Thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. I know you just got back to the country. No, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Congratulations are in order. And, uh, I mean, how were the nerves in, 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 in that coach's box considering that the first four, first four sets went to tie breaks? Oh, no, it was <laughs> tough. Like, to be honest, uh, uh, you don't really have to show it or you can't show it to your players. You're just going to put on that poker face. And uh, that's what I tried to do. But deep down, man, I tell you, it was tough. I was just so... Cause you, you want it so badly for them, but you also just got to show them show them that that sort of calmness you know and just kind of constantly just you know tell them come on it's okay when when things don't go well but uh yeah it was i mean it was one of the most epic doubles matches i've been involved with and i'm just glad i was uh, part of the winning side and are you allowed to coach in the box or how much coaching can you do <laughs> <laughs> they say not you're not allowed to. i'm sure there's some coaching whether it's illegal or not or everybody has their own thing but no uh Interesting enough, I mean, four, uh, four great first sets. I mean, it could have gone either way in uh, tie breaks. And, uh, and luckily, the roof closed, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I say luckily in the sense that uh, we, we had our chances uh, in, the, in the fourth set there where we had two break points, I thought for sure. Uh, we would take it, especially when we had a second serve on Mahut and uh, Kabal missed a four-end wide. And then we had another one where Rob missed in the net as a first serve, but it was definitely a makeable return. And then, uh, yeah, we went down in the breaker, we lost an early mini break, and then Mahut actually asked, he was the first one to ask for the route because obviously it plays so much different, mm. and I think he thought it would have uh, probably suited them best. But I then had about five minutes to be able to talk to my guys, which was quite nice, uh, because it's almost like a rain delay. So so I, I got to chat to them a little bit. And you know what, uh, the nice thing about it, when I asked Rob, I said, Rob, how are you feeling? I said, man, I want to play for another two hours. And I was like, okay, that's all I wanted to hear. And when I, I said to him, you know, you guys are not doing anything wrong. The only difference why we're still here is because you're not taking your chances. You're not taking the risk. If, uh, if you're taking the risk and when the, 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 uh, the chances present itself, you have to be able to go, go for it, play on your terms and lose on your terms. And that's all I want from this. I don't care what happened, but just go out. You've got to tell me after the match, Jeff, at least we went from day with a better team. That's all I want to hear, but take your chances. And which they did. You know, we went up a break. And then we've got to break uh, down again. But uh, I think like at three all, Rob served a really uh, relatively easier game, but made a lot of first serves. And then we got on Russell and played a really good game to break him. I think Mahut got hit twice there in that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, we broke there. And then again, last 30 down. And then uh, Cabal just clutched, man, seven ace. And then uh, Rob took, big, you know, took the risk to, to cross at, at 40-30 and it paid off. And what were the expectations going into this tournament? <laughs> you know what to, to be honest uh, when I've, I've worked with these guys for the last five and a half years and uh, they've never made semi-finals of a grass court tournament so uh, we were playing Queens and we lost to Andy Murray and Lopez who ended up winning the tournament then we decided okay uh, Eastbourne is only an hour and a half from there we ended up going there probably the best decision we've made we wow. ended up winning that tournament and I think that sort of gave the guys confidence and then once we got to Wimbledon round by round by round we just got better and better 
And the quarterfinal was probably the toughest in the sense that uh, we were five match points down. So that was tough. Mm. And the guys played really good to be able to save five match points on their serves, but only made big first serves, which showed great character. And after that match, I said, man, you guys are in the finals. It was a pretty, we, uh, we played Raven. You know, it's always tough to play a South yeah. African. And uh, I said, you know what? You guys have been made five match points down. You know, these things are meant to be. Just go out there and believe it. I mean, yeah, anything is possible. You shouldn't even be here. So uh, let's go out there and, and enjoy yourself. And and how tough was it or how was it preparing for or planning for a Raven and then Michael Venner, someone that you know very well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Raven's a good friend. I've, I've coached him before and... Uh, um, or help coach him, uh, but uh, and and obviously part of the Davis Cup team. It's always tough, you know, to play race. But I I know him really well, and I knew that we're going to have to come out on a on a good start, which we did. And again, we played some really good tennis and just smart tennis held our nerve. And and I mean, against those guys, you have to, you know, they're not going to give it to you. You have to go earn it. So. But, uh, yeah, it's always tough to play against race. You know, I don't really like it particularly, but uh, so far we've come on, on top. And finally, how big is this win for your team and for the people of Colombia? Because I believe they're the first ones to win at Wimbledon. And you've also got number one. Yeah, I mean, that's the cherry on the top, right? I mean, you, you win at your first slam and then to see the rankings as world number one, those are uh, things we dream about, you know. We we actually just went out there, there was a goal, our first goal was to win a slam and then suddenly we, we get to world number one as well. And it's been massive, I must say. I, I don't even know the Colombians that's been emailing and texting me. I mean, I've, I'm people just saying to me, thank you so much for helping our country, for our team and everything. And I mean, they're just so proud. You know, they've had tremendous support. And I must say, I'm just being, I'm just happy to be part of it. And they made history. And I mean, it's been going absolutely crazy in Colombia. I mean, they're on the show. I mean, it's just been going crazy. I said, guys, just... Let's just talk when everything settles down at the end of the week. <laughs> okay. Great stuff. Coach Jeff Kutsia, well done. We thought we should highlight this massive achievement. And thank you for finding time to speak to us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So there we have it. We've got a Wimbledon champion, depending on how, which way you look at it. Coach Jeff Kutsia guiding uh, the Colombians to the Wimbledon title. Uh, we're going to switch gears now and end up by talking about MotoGP because Brad Binder has been promoted. We saw the story a couple of days ago and he's agreed to speak to us. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. So let's go all the way to Valencia in Spain. That's where we find our bread, Binder Bread. Good evening. Thanks for speaking to us again on SAFM. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Congratulations for being promoted to MotoGP. I would think that was always the ultimate goal for you. Yes, for sure. I'm really, really happy to be making a step up into MotoGP next year. Uh, it's been a long time coming. But, uh, yeah, you know, managed to get everything lined up and... Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that finally I'll be racing in the premium class next year. And how does it work, Brad, for those not familiar? How do you get promoted? Is it solely on the team to decide who their riders will be? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's basically, it's mostly up to the teams. You know, you've got to get contracted by a, a manufacturer to go up into the MotoGP class. So I was lucky enough that KTM have a class in uh, Moto3, Moto2 and also MotoGP. So uh, I've been with them now for, this is going to my sixth season. Yeah. And um, yeah, I started in Moto3 at KTM and now I'm going to MotoGP with them too. And how do you look back at your time in Moto2? Uh, I think it's three or four wins and eight podiums? 
been tough. You know, I expected a whole lot more to come from this season so far. Unfortunately, we started the season a little bit behind uh, behind where we should have been. Um, we we really just didn't quite weren't quite up to scratch from the beginning of the season, and uh, we had a lot of issues. But um, slowly, we have been been sorting it out. We've been getting stronger every weekend, and uh, the last two races, I finished second twice. So um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time until we start winning again. And uh, hopefully we can start to pull back some points and hopefully we can still be in for a shot at this championship. Well, the rumor mill about you being uh, making the step up to MotoGP started when they announced that you'll be testing next month with uh, Danny Pedroza and Mika. Uh, was that an indication for you that you're being considered? Uh, well, basically, I, um, I had a deal with the, the boss of KTM and as soon as I got my... Uh, my first victory in Moto in the Moto Two class, they promised me a ride on the Moto GP bike. So uh yeah, I went to Brno in the Czech Republic and I had my first uh ride on the on the uh, Moto GP machine and wow it was absolutely incredible. It's such a it's so incredibly fast, it's really difficult to get used to at the beginning, but after a while once things started to settle down, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and and you being reunited now with Miguel Oliveira, everybody's talking about this partnership. What makes it so special? Yeah, I've been teammates with Miguel since uh, the Moto Three days. Uh, we were teammates in Moto Three for two years, uh, Moto Two also for two years, and now uh, it's gonna we're gonna be teammates again in Moto GP. So uh, yeah, I think we we're, we're both on the same program. You know, we've both been stepping up through the ranks. Uh, he's always been one step ahead of me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be good. You know, next year we all we have made it to the top. So from then on, it's just going to be uh, an all-out fight to see how we can do next year. And does it does it not put pressure on you now for the remainder of the Moto2 season or does it ease the pressure knowing that you'll be in MotoGP next year? Uh, honestly, it's, it, it's a bit of both. You know, the thing was I always wanted to go through each class and be world champion in each class. Um, I mean, I've won the Moto3 World Championship. Uh, Last year in Moto2, I was finished up in third position. So I really felt like this is my year to go out and win the championship. But uh, it's been really tough so far. But saying that, I really believe that now we have got a a strong machine and um, we can start to rack up the victories in the second half of the year. And if so, you know, I'm sure by the time Valencia comes, we'll be in for a, a good shot at uh, fighting for the world title. How do you think it's going to be lining up against some of your idols next year? Well, I think it's going to be absolutely <laughs> insane to uh, just see like Valentino Rossi or Mark Marquez on track. Never mind fights against them. So, um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's how it is. You know, you you set your goals and you just got to chip away at them step by step and. Uh, this is the, the, the next the next stepping stone. And yeah, from then on, we're just going to fight to improve every weekend and build from there. And I'm interested to find out, who was the first person you called and you told that you're going to MotoGP? Uh, well, I was actually, it was just, we're at the Heret round. So already the fourth, fourth race of the year. Yeah. Um, when uh, KTM told me they're going to use their option to take me through to MotoGP. So, uh, yeah, at, at first, you know, it was just me and my manager. And then after that, obviously, the first people people I called 
were my parents, you know, because they have obviously been there yeah. from day one and I uh, would, would never have been anywhere near where I am today without them. And and finally, how's Darren doing in Moto3? Darren's getting better. You know, he's had he had a strong start to the year. Uh, he's been incredibly fast every single race. Unfortunately, he's had a bit of bad luck, uh, a couple of crashes, and things have been difficult for him. Um, he ended up uh, dislocating two of his fingers, and the bones actually came through the skin. So uh, it took him a while to, to uh, recover from that. He's still struggling a little bit with them. But um, he's got this, this now the three-week break just to recover, and I'm sure he's going to be in for a really solid second half of the year. Okay, we've got Loazi that's called us from Mabopane. A quick one, Loazi. Hello, Loazi. Yeah, can I say something quickly to Brad Binder? Yes, yes, yes. Hello, Brad. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? No, I'm good. Uh, look, man. Hey, look. I, I really wish that you, your first season, just imagine if you accomplish something really huge as a South African. I'd really be happy if you if you win the championship, even though my favorite racer is actually Valentino Rossi. But I'd actually be happy if you defeat him. Just like I wish Kevin Anderson one day defeats Roger Federer in the Wimbledon final. So please, please, please. <laughs> Thank you okay. very much. I'll and then you can do you can, you can, look, you can do it. You can, you can just simply do it. Okay. I'll, I'll always give it my best. Thank you very much. Great stuff. Thanks for that, Loazi. And Brad, thanks for finding time to speak to us. We appreciate it and all the best. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, Brad. Binda going to be in MotoGP next year. Should be lots and lots of fun there against the doctor himself, Valentino Rossi. That's where we leave it. Our time is up. The Proteas netball team have beaten Scotland 66-38. So four wins out of four for our ladies. They still remain on course to make the semi-finals. Songa Zomapekta is up next. But firstly, it's news. And my name is Tabiso Mosia. Thank you.